Well, welcome to Dragon Heart. I am joined by Bill and Mark. How are you both? Yeah. <laughs> so so good. We're silent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Still getting over the talky game, but we're all right. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of mental scarring there, and that's what we're going to talk about. Hopefully, very briefly. <laughs> we also have the first anniversary of the takeover, which should be interesting to talk about. We've got Bill's original idea of what could have been footballers who've played for Wrexham. Um, we're also going to talk about other bits and bobs, like our formation. Uh, Mark's been interacting with fans on Twitter. So, yeah, it should be an interesting show. So, this is Dragonheart. I'm Jake Hyde, and this is Dragonheart. Well, talk key. Um, a game I think every fan who watched would like to forget very quickly, wouldn't they, Bill? Yeah, um, it was a very difficult watch. Um, I'm sure we can get into it tactically, but I think overall it's just summed up how when we have looked poor this season, that, that was that game in a nutshell, really. Everything that we have done wrong previously happened. Um, uh, it's, it's hard to put into words, really, isn't it? Exactly, you know, you couldn't nail one thing down that, that we did that that was the overall problem. We we were dominating the first couple of minutes, and then they go and sneak a goal, and you think with our record that we could have got back into it, but just wasn't our day, was it, Mark? No, no, not at all. Um, I, 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 you're right about it's so true when you said it was sort of like a summary of. Gate, what what things have gone wrong for us, wasn't it? So it's like a stodgy, slow build-up play that meant that they could set themselves easily before we got into good positions. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I think, in a weird way, did Danny Wright being injured help them? Because they'd been playing 4-4-2 and using him more as a target man, and him not being fit, they, they moved their shape a bit more, more like a 4-3-3. They didn't have an out-and-out striker as such. And then once they scored that early goal, their wide players dropped really deep. And they kind of part the bus for the rest of the game, well, for much of the game, certainly all the second half. And I think that caused us an issue, didn't it? Because there was just no space in their half to create. And we, we made a lot of chances around the edge of the area. And I think most days, one of those possibly would have gone in and we might have gone on to nick something, but... Yeah, it just didn't work out for us. And, and we found it hard to make clear chances against a side that were defending their bounds. Yeah, very well, I would say. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it, it was a very frustrating game. And I think what summed that game up was the, the most analysed corner in football history. Uh, <laughs> the end of the first half, the... The, sorry to people who listen to Wrexham player at the time, but that uh, it was that Luke Young passing the ball to James Jones and the counter-attack from there, which was a good idea, but the execution was poor. And it, I think the whole game just seemed to be like that, really. I don't really think we made many clear-cut chances, which it was just as all the criticisms that we've had previous in the season just seemed to come back for that game. It's a crying shame, really. I mean, I would say, you say about lack of creativity, and you're right, and we didn't make any clear-cut chances, although, let's be honest, they only made the one. Um, yeah. But still, that doesn't matter, they'd be lost. 
Um, I'm not trying to make excuses here, but I mean, we were missing Mullen, our best striker, and Davis, our best creative player. And that didn't help us. But having said that, I know the response to that is, yeah, but we had a lot of expensive players on that pitch as well. And and my reply to that is, yeah, you're absolutely right. And we should have been better than that. Yeah, it was difficult to see what the shape was when when Dior and uh, Liam McElhinden came on, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, I can't remember who exactly they came off for. It was Ponticelli and... yeah. Uh, came off, and then Kenworth came off when Kwame came on. That was it. Yeah, and you know, Hosanna didn't have the best of games, and considering how good McLinden looked down that left, you'd have thought that was the swap that was coming, but it didn't. It didn't materialise, and you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Hosanna. I think he's doing really well on a side that's not naturally his, so I wouldn't want to beat up him up too much over not having a good performance after coming straight from an injury, but. What we needed was, a, you know, you said it in the commentary, Mark, we needed a bit of an injection of pace down the wings. We needed to be getting the ball more forward using that, the, the channels and it just didn't just didn't happen. And I think, you know, you any other year, if we didn't have a whole new team sort of settling in, you, you'd kind of take that result on the change, go, all right, whatever. But we possibly already lost too many games that, you know, and, and those early games that we, we lost or drew when we should have won. Uh, might end up proving costly. Yeah, and I, I just to double up what you said, really, then. Yeah, I think I'm not sure why Parkinson taken off James Jones. I think at that point he was settling into the game nicely and he was being one of the more influential players. As, as you said, I think that the right decision would have been to take Bryce Hosanna off. He was a bit absent for that game and stick Liam McElhinden on personally. Yeah, I, I was a bit surprised at that as well. I know I know Jones has his critics and I know Jones has his limitations in many ways, but his energy and his ability to get up and down the pitch is, is a terrific strength. And he looked to me to be scrapping very hard in midfield, winning balls back. And in that sort of game, maybe that's the sort of thing that you need, to be frank. I also think I know, I used to say this last season and I realised it's a cliche I doesn't have used this season. Oh, maybe not. Um, Jurgen Klopp saying the best the, the best number ten is pressing, and I, I in games like that sometimes that's true, isn't it? If you can't break a team down because there's not much space because they're so deep, sometimes the best thing to do is to counter press. Where the moment they you know your attack breaks down and they've got the ball and you try and tackle them back, because if you win that ball back high at the pitch where their players are starting to maybe just come out of those defensive positions, they could be exposed much more easily than when we've stung 20 passes around in front of them and they're just sitting in their shape calling us on. So, you know, maybe having Jones's energy because he does win tackles, he does have the energy to get high up the pitch and join the strikers. I'd have been tempted to have kept him on myself. If I could go back to Bill's point as well about the shape when we finished the game. Yeah, I, I funnily enough, I was thinking about that this morning. What sort of shape is it? It's sort of three players up front. McElhinden's kind of behind them. And then you've got the two mid-defend, the midfield pivots who sort of have to stay back a bit because you're going to try and get your full-backs up. Um, and the thing is, it, it didn't work. But, you know, I don't want to be critical in saying that in the sense that it's exactly what we did at Halifax. And I'm Halifax when we did that questions a couple of weeks ago about what's the most memorable away wins and what's the moment of the season. Halifax was coming up massively. Well, yeah, quite right. Brilliant win. But until about the 80th minutes, it felt a bit like that Torquay game, admittedly against better opponents. 
like you said previously, Mark, as well, you know, it, or like we've said between, I can't remember who it was that said, but, you know, you look at some of those results and we've managed to turn it around and they look great results. Even on paper, they look great, but the first 70 minutes with poor performances and, you know, if we'd have even just nicked the one goal, we might have been walking away from that thinking, oh, well, mm, sort of par performance, one point in the bag, but it just didn't happen. At least, at least they were trying something a bit different. I just personally felt like, especially Tom O'Connor, who wasn't used to playing... Uh, Withers was a bit isolated at times in the middle. Uh, even with even with Jones on the pitch, he was busy and doing things. You could sort of see that Young and Jones have previously been asked to play that deeper role, and maybe they're just not quite used to yet playing it. You know, both in their careers, both played further up, but they've been playing deeper recently. So that's not just going to be. They're not. It's not like FIFA. You can't just overnight turn yourself back to a centre midfielder and everything's fine. They've got to adjust and work on patterns of play with each other, haven't they? So, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of O'Connor's performance, Che? It's quite hard because he is literally just signed and you've got to give him time. The quality was quite clearly there. Some of the balls were really good, but some of them were also not very good. Uh yeah, you can't really judge him off one performance as a young lad. He's just joined and it was okay. I think he was one of the better players on the pitch, I, I think. Yeah, I agree completely. I think he, you could see what qualities he's got. Um, but, you know, he's he's playing most of the game, in the, like you said, Bill, in a sort of withdrawn midfield holding position, trying to keep the ball moving. And quite frankly, if Torquay were coming at us more, and he was able to keep the ball moving under pressure and take their players out of the game by quickly shifting it around, then he could be bossing that match. But when they've dropped off deep, he's more just, you know, the anchor point in midfield, shifting the ball around. He's maybe not got a chance to really hurt them. That's why I read of Neil in the commentary saying maybe he and maybe our team should be about 10 yards higher at the pitch. Puts him in a position where Torquay have to come and meet him. And he can use his strength to hold the ball and his passing to take players out of the game. I thought he won a lot of headers, which is quite pleasing. My dad has always been one for looking at how big the opponents are and said, oh, they look a bit big, don't they? And there's always one for, we should have a big bloke in midfield. And my dad's uh, worshipped Danny Williams, for example. You know, And I, there's something to that, especially at this level of football, isn't it? Having a, having a big lad who wins all the headers and tackles at the back of your midfield. Isn't a bad thing to have at all. I was encouraged by what I saw of him, although I accept it didn't go as well as he'd have liked. Uh, yeah, 100% agree. And I think there's an elephant in the room that we haven't talked about. I think officiating was poor on start day two. Uh, I think the first goal was should never have been a goal because it wasn't a free kick. It was a fair tackle won by Aaron Hayden. But these things happen, don't they? And I think we look at both... The last two games, we've taken how many points is it from Maidenhead and Talk? Two points from Maidenhead and Talk either season. Um, yeah, that's true. It, 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 it's not good. Yeah. Um, are we still in the title race, Bill? Um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll stop just short of saying no, but if it was <laughs> out of 10 and our chances. Of, of winning the title with 10 and a chance of definitely not in the title with zero. I'd say we're about a two at the moment. It, there's, the opportunity is still there if we can go on a run of form, but I think that was probably the last game that we could lose to even have a chance. Um, 
we could maybe afford one more loss if if results don't go the other team's way. But we'd have to beat Stockport. We'd have to beat Chesterfield. We'll have to beat a few other teams. We've got to play Boreham Wood another two times, not including the trophy as well. Like there's there's a lot of games in in the running, and our results against the the top half are slightly mixed. So uh, I'm not completely beaten up on it, and I still think second or third would be a success this season. I'm just not convinced we'll win the title, especially the way Stockport are playing as well. Are we still in a title race? Yes, definitely. I'm going to say, Bill, I'm the voice of optimism. We win our game in hand, and we are six points. <laughs> yeah, we're six points behind Stockport who win our game in hand. Uh, with nine, well, no, hang on, I beg your pardon, 18 games left to play. So that's nothing really. So uh, for me, yeah, we are definitely still in the title race. I I don't like the number of teams between us and Stockport, obviously, because that means there's plenty of teams that can hit form. The point is, we have to be the ones that has a run of form. Um, if we do, I reckon we win it, actually. If we don't, then we scrap to be in the playoffs, which is not where we expected to be, frankly. But yeah, I, 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 I don't like us dropping points, but then the other teams are going to drop points. I mean, the very fact that there's one, I'm just looking at the table now. I mean, Grimsby are only three points behind us now. Dagenham are only four. So are we saying there's 10 teams that still are looking for promotion or getting in the playoffs? Well, they're all going to be knocking points off each other. It's the one that hits a rhythm before that'll be okay. And I do accept we haven't we haven't fully done that, although this is our first defeat in a long while. But no, we're definitely in there. Uh, would we take six points off the top with 18 games or whatever left? Definitely we would. Win, win, win at the weekend, stop or lose, and all of a sudden... You know, we're, we're six points behind with a game in hands, and we'll see it very differently, won't we? I just realized we're playing in the trophy at the weekend. Forget to scrub that comment. <laughs> but lose, at the, lose our next league game and Stockport win, and then it's looking very grim, isn't it? Um, Miser- miseries, that's what you two are. Uh, we're closer to 10th <laughs> than we are the t- top of the table. Um, to be Not honest, you're in our game in hands. Not for when I game in hand, but I'm, hands, we're close I, to the top and 10th. I was expecting a lot more. You know, Notts County have got a game in hand over us, too. If they win that, they'll jump us. So we need to start hitting some good form and soon. And we've only scored, I was looking at a table, we've only scored 10 goals at home this season. We're not really blowing away teams at home. Um, we're scoring goals and went home. So, yeah, it, it, we've got some really tough games coming up at home too. So, we've still got Borenwood to play twice. They've got a lot of games in hand uh, and they look like a good side. Uh, yeah, uh, as long as we're in the playoffs, that's the main part because I think we're a team that's suited to big occasions. Big, big. We've got the tactic, we've got the right team, the big players for the playoffs, but... Yeah, a bit unfortunate. I, I think we're firmly out of the title race. I can't see us budging Stockport or Chesterfield. You can tell, Mark, that our dad's English and his use of perpetual uh, disappointment as an England fan. So it's been drilled in from a young age to be uh, be automatically be disappointed and you'll never be anything less than that. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to take the optimistic route and say, right, OK, I totally agree. 10 points, 10 goals rather, in 11 home games is bizarrely poor 
for a team that we ought to be. So, uh, yes, and I'm not totally sure what the answer to that is, seeing as we are the top away scorers in the whole division and third top scorers in the whole division overall. So do we actually have a problem scoring goals? At home we do, away we don't. We also have the best or equal best home defence. And to be fair, I mean... Yeah, I mean, uh, so we at least aren't letting goals in. Six in 11 games is terrific. It's not right. In a way, that unevenness of our statistics, I think, sums up our season. We're not consistent, and that is what concerns me. We're, we're not consistent generally over games. How many games have there been where we've put in a full, consistent, good 90 minutes? Very few. And yet we have put in a lot of good performances overall and got a lot of good results. Yeah. It's not quite there yet. It's too late now to be saying it's not gelling yet, I think. But having said that, I still would say win that game in hand and six points off the top with 18 games to go, game on, is the way I look at it. You know, it's best if we, if we stay around where we are, coming towards the last few games of the season, last five, seven games, and we hit a good run of form, as long as we hit a good run of form going into the playoffs and we get that home home tie for a game, uh, for if we get second or third and we get that home match for the playoffs, that, that's brilliant. But we don't want to be in a position where we were last season, where we're scrapping at the end, the last game of the season against Dagenham Redbridge, who are going to be in, fighting themselves to get into the playoffs. We do not want to be in that position. We want to be firmly in the playoffs in the last three games and hoping to get a second or third position. Yeah, you, you, we, we want it really to um, to have a bit of time, regardless of what the actual position in the playoffs is, we want a little bit of time to prepare for the playoffs. I think teams generally have that little bit of space um, Oh, maybe this is something statistically you can look up, Mark, but do teams who who scrape into the playoffs go in on form and do do well, or is it teams that are settled in? I mean, the 98-point season, we got battered, uh, and the year before that, we got battered in the playoffs by Luton. The year after when we got to the playoff final, we didn't quite scrape in, but it was pretty close towards the end, and we went in a good run of form, so... I know you don't want to play that extra game and you definitely want to play at home, but we've got a better away form. So if we, if we finish sixth or seventh, two away games, and then Wembley might actually suit us. Yeah, that's very true. I, I think because we're erratic, we're unpredictable, which could be a good thing in, in a, if we are in the playoffs. I mean, we away to Stockport, okay, we lost, that's bad, and that's the important thing that comes out of that, but we bossed the first half completely. I couldn't believe how ordinary that's in the first half. I couldn't believe how badly we collapsed in the second either. Um, away to Halifax, we won. Away to Solly Hull, they equalised in the 92nd minute. Those are the away games we played against teams above us. And Notts County away, we lost it, but having a red card in the first eight minutes is, doesn't help, and we looked good until that point, and we're winning. So, you know, we've got it's more complex than than just the, the points on the face of it. Every Life's always more complex than just the headline, but it is the headline. It is the league table that will decide our fate. So we have to get that right as well. I must say as well, chaps, and I, I don't want to don't accuse you of uh, being negative, of course, although clearly you are. <laughs> but you're talking about tough games coming up. Well, you know, we should we should be a good team. We've brought in enough good players. We should see those as opportunities. 
yesterday in tough games, but bring them on. If, if we want to be good enough to go up, then we need to look at Stockport at home and say, well, there's a chance for us to give them a bloody nose. We need to look at Boreham Woods in two, uh, two games against Boreham Woods and say, okay, let's do the double over them. That, that's how we've got to look at it. We've got Solly Hull at home. We've got Halifax at home. We've got Stockport at home. We've got to go at them. We've got to go at them and take the opportunities. Yeah, I agree. And we've got to have faith. We've spent the money. The owners have done all, all the right things, all the things off the pitch are coming in nicely. Uh, but we, we just do need to get the results, starting off with Wheelston next Saturday, which will be a tough game because they give us a hell of a tough game at home. Um, and it's the big one, uh, the following Tuesday against Chesterfield, which is going to be very interesting. Mm. We've got Old Shot and Kings Lynn, which you should be looking at six points, shouldn't you? In the Barnet home game coming up as well. We've got a lot of winnable yeah. home games coming up, in theory. I know that the FA Trophy could disrupt that if we get through. But yeah, as you're quite right to quote the inspirational manager, George Michael, you've got to have faith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not completely, like I say, I know, I know two might sound really... negative armature as I'm going to call it from now on maybe we could have a check every week see where the title armature is currently at <laughs> a, a, a win and a couple of bad results for other teams it's it's that it's that such a pressure situation it completely swings it the other way so I'm not completely downbeat and I, I'm still quite hopeful for our overall achievement for the whole year but I just think title is 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 a tough one at the moment yeah Chesterfield and Stockport two very good sides and Chesterfield, Stockport and Wrexham are three very good sides. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Parky. Taking us to the edge of heaven. Can he go on further? I'm going to see how many Wham lyrics I can throw in there. Well, talking <laughs> of Parkinson, talking of tactics, um, after this, we're going to talk about um, should we change to a back four? I'm Harry Lennon and this is Dragon Heart. Well, formations, Twitter have had, had their say, haven't they, Mark? They certainly have. It's really interesting. I put a poll up um, saying which formations would people want because, well, you were saying after the game at Torquay that maybe we should change shape. Other fans have been saying it as well. Um, so I thought I'd ask the question. I was limited by the fact that, obviously, you can only uh, have four options on a Twitter poll. But it was interesting the amount. We got a good amount of voting on it. 45.9%, so a big, big number, wanted some variation like 4231 or 433. Then 26.7% wanted a 442. And the two three at the back options, staying as we are, 19.9%. And a 343, so squeezing another striker in, 7.5%. So that's 72.6% wanting us to switch to a back four. A few comments. Got to say one thing I never... Oh, right, OK. Maybe I should be clear here. I really didn't think we should go to a back four. I must admit, having heard your argument, chair on Saturday, and then also having heard, read some of these arguments, because they were very interesting, uh, I'm starting to see your point. John, John Adevis immediately said, 4-4-2 with a diamond. Uh, diamond would suit Parkinson. It's conservative enough with the sitting midfielder 
so uh, we can press and move up the pitch. Three centre-halves is a waste of a man in a squad with our supposed talent, really. A flat-back four should be sufficient if we're threatening the goal more. Tim Lewis said uh, 4-4-2, attacking, overlapping, crossing into the box from wide players is dynamite in the National League. We're a big dog and we should be imposing ourselves on teams far more. McAlinden and Davis on the wings with Bryce Hosanna and Reese Hall Johnson behind them. How scary would that be for fullbacks? O'Connor sitting as a deeper eight and Jones box to box in the middle should be more than capable of holding midfield down. Three centre-backs is a good tactic if you're the underdog. We're not the underdog in most games in this league. Diamond would work well, but I go classic 4-4-2. Dan Rowe has been... Well, Dan Rowe's either been scouting for us or has been uh, heartbroken by the, the, the sacking of the Chesterfield manager and then checking whether... You know, they want to save money by replacing them with the namesake. It's too late now, of course. Interestingly, I went to watch Stockport last night, who were considered to play some of the best football, and they played 3-5-2, which became 5-3-2 out of possession. And there were loads of long diagonals from the centre-back to Quigley up front. Russell Richards, I don't think we have the players to play 4-4-2, if I'm honest. So it's 4-3-3. Aaron uh, says 4-2-3-1, Palmer down the middle. Mullen left cutting in, McElland and right cutting in, Davis behind Palmer, fullbacks overlapping. So, uh, hmm, where are we going with this, chaps? What do you think? I really don't know, you know. <laughs> I just like, I, the more I thought about it, I it's not the formation as such. I don't mind the formation we play, but sometimes I'd just like to see us change it up a little bit more. If you get what I mean, I think Parkinson likes to stick to his tactics. I, I don't, I don't know how we play a four-three-three with the players we got. How how would you play a four-three-three with the players we got? You can't. Yeah. I think simply put, you can't effectively. We've got no uh, attacking wingers. We've got players who can play attacking wing positions. I don't think we've got specialist attacking wingers to play four-three-three. I think maybe Dior, Ponticelli, uh, Hosanna pushed up further up could play in a 4 2 3 one where they're not expected to be so high and wide up the pitch. Maybe they, you know, having that overlap, but um, I think I'm, um, I flopped the other way from you, Mark. I think I was, I actually voted 4 2 3 one when I looked at it and I flopped the other way and thinking, mm, I want to, I want to see us do the best with the players we've got. And we've bought to set up with three at the back. So, like Chase sort of alluding to, you then kind of have to switch what you're doing tactically rather than the formations. Uh, we, you know, you you both said it on commentary on Saturday that you wanted to see the wingers pushed further up. And when we've done really well against teams, Grim to be one of those games, we've had the wingers pushed up. That's nothing to do with a change in formation. That's just a change of approach, isn't it? So, um. What I would like to see, though, is is if it's clearly not working, like on Saturday when Clareworth, uh, who who's been fantastic this year, looked a bit like a wasted. We didn't we didn't need him in defence. We were defending well enough. They weren't really getting anywhere near us. Why have that extra man in the back three when you could be playing um, with an extra man in midfield where we were really not maybe not so much midfield, but like we were struggling in in that middle area of the pitch. So. I think there's a time and a place for four two three one. 
or a variation of, but I think generally we need to stick to 3-5-2 now and, and adapt the approach. I've got to admit, I think I still think that, and essentially for the reasons you're saying, that Parkinson has bought players to fit a certain system, a certain shape, um, and if we then change that, there are, like you say, I mean, who are the wide attackers in the 4-3-3? McAlinden and Mullen? Are we going to, I mean, I know Mullen can come in from the wide areas, but are we getting the best from Mullen by asking him to cut inside? Are we not better off having him through the middle where he can get on the end of things more easily? Seems to me. Um, the three of the back does have the benefit of being able to play two strikers. I know it's not the only formation that does that, but um, it does. it is the formation that allows you to have Jordan Davis in behind them, theoretically, which is a nice idea. I like Davis getting into central attacking positions. So, yeah, I think we bought to play this system and I think we'll probably pretty much stick with it, I suspect. Could we play 3-4-3? Three, three? Maybe, but I don't know. I, I, I think we'll probably should stick to where we are. That overlapping idea attracts me. I, I must admit, that, that, that sounds fun. But again, it's Jordan Davis as a winger. Are we getting the most out of him there? I don't know. Yeah. The more I thought about it, the more I thought about who we've got. If we play a 4 2 3 1, you're playing people out of position, really. You know, people who can do a job in certain positions. Poncelli can play out wide. Diorangas can play out wide. We're not utilizing players playing in their speciality. And yeah. I, I, I don't think that's optimal in my opinion even though i think sometimes if it's as bill said if it's clearly not working change it early um like in the chesterfield game we change shape and that seemed to change the game a little bit just maybe try something if it's like the talky game it would be nice to have changed shape a little bit earlier to give the other team to get the other team guessing i suppose but yeah i, I the more i thought about it, i think we should change the shape keep the shape but change the approach now what i will say actually is i think maybe four two three one is it's now is a good time or or even i quite like the diamond actually because essentially the diamond is playing very similarly to to three at the back you just have added an extra midfielder in because if toes in that three was pushing a little bit further up he's essentially acting as a defensive midfielder if if that's how you want to play three five two um but while we haven't got mullin we're not having to choose between Palmer or Mullin for that lone striker. So now is probably a good opportunity to at least adapt other parts of the pitch. If they're both fit, unless you're willing to play Mullin as a like sort of central attacking midfielder or a centre foot, like, you know, just behind the striker sort of position, you're going to have to sacrifice one of them two, aren't you? To, or like you said, Mark, put Mullin on the wing, which is essentially sacrificing him because he's not a winger. So... Do we at the while while we're in this situation we've only got one first choice striker fit? Do you play with four at the back and and sort of play around him? Maybe I think that the problem with four two three one is what happened at Maidenhead myself uh, because if you think about mm. if you remember after the Marine game uh, Parkinson did ditch three at the back went to 4-2-3-1. It looked great at home to Marine, although it's got to be said we're at home to a team of three divisions lower. And in that game, Mullen's playing up behind Angus and is getting in the box and scores both the goals. Then we go mm -hmm. to Barnett. And again, he plays behind the striker 
And again, Mullen looks great and scores the first goal. However, at Maidenhead, um, we were overrun defensively. We were getting caught all the time. You know, Hosanna and Hull Johnson still wanted to get up the pitch. And we were getting caught and, and getting done. And it was an issue. And I said, I know it was record on Hull Johnson, wasn't it? Um, but I think that's probably coloured Parkinson's mind against that myself. But I, I think Mullen, yeah, my, my feeling is, like, like, like Joe was saying earlier, uh, he put it beautifully, when, when we're spending all this money on deluxe players, it seems strange to then be sticking players in positions that they, they can do it, but it's not their position. That just seems an odd situation for us to get into and would imply a lack of planning. So I think there's logical fingers to keep playing players in the positions they were bought to play. But I think Mullen dropping off behind a striker might well still work simply because he does naturally drop off a little bit, get into those 30 yards out, have a pop positions anyway, doesn't he? And then can motor past the striker into the box. So he, he does do that or make runs into the channels. So, but I think, I think from wide, I think you're in danger of isolating him from a game. Why, why would you do that to your star player? Uh, is my, is my logic. Yeah. Uh... I 100% agree with that, Mark. And it, it, Again, though, I think a lot of fans seem to, when we're doing badly, just blame the back three, don't they? Oh, it's five at the back, it's negative. But when we're doing well, they don't talk about it. I, I, I actually think this formation can be a very um, attacking formation if we get the wing backs up, up and down the pitch. So I just think it's the fact that we've had a couple of bad games and we played badly. It's just like, let's bl- just blame the formation. I, I just think it's a lot, a, b- a little bit more deeper than that. I don't think it's as simple as just playing four at the back and then we'll just end up playing this beautiful attacking free flowing football. I, I, I don't really accept that. I think you're a hundred percent right. Um, I've never understood totally when people talk about being a defensive formation. I see it as a very attacking formation, to be honest, because the way we play it, Hayden tries to join in. Toza will step up and make play. And on the left-hand side, well, since Clow- uh, Lennon will step up and can pass the ball, but since Cloweth's been in, Cloweth can actually do the overlapping centre-back thing. So, yeah, I, I think there is an intent to go forwards with that formation. And like you said, our two wing-backs... Uh, play like wingers sometimes, don't they? Although although I also agree with Bill that in the Torquay game, Torquay had dropped off so deep, their wide players were so deep, their striker was so isolated, having three men marking him did seem a bit of a waste. Um, but, yeah, I I don't see it as a defensive formation at all. Um, as, who was it? Mr Rowe, who went to see Stockport-Chesterfield. Stockport play that system and people aren't complaining about them and their style of play. It's, it is what you make of it, I suppose. When we got promoted to Dennis Smith, we played exactly this system. And, you know, we, were, we scored a hell of a lot of goals and we turned over a heck of a lot of teams. I don't think the system is at fault. I mean, Wayne Phillips, I remember talking to him at Maidenhead, actually, about shape. And he was basically saying, formations don't matter, the players do. I feel like the truth lies in between those two things, but... The bottom line is, I don't think three of the backs necessarily an issue. I think maybe it's certain other things that are the issue. Um, you know, form or maybe perception. Because like you say, I think it's a feeling of we've had two poor results. So something needs to change. I understand that the logic behind that. 
But actually, the maiden night performance was very good, wasn't it? It was just that we had 10 men for the whole match and couldn't quite hang on, but it was nearly a brilliant win. Yeah, I 100%, 100% agree. I think you've wrapped it up perfectly there. There's, you know, a lot of things at the moment about perception. Um, some players, some formations, some teams are wrong place at the wrong time. So after this, we're going to be talking about players who could have been great. Wrexham's Heartbeat. This is Callon FM. Well, players who could have been. Um, Mark, you've been interacting with fans on Twitter. What, what have they been saying? I'd say the best uh, suggestions we've had, quite simply, Robert David Jones says, Don Vos, can't argue with this. Um, there's a nice point here from Russell Richards, who said that when we signed Scott Green, he was a difference just to push us on. Let's hope O'Connor can have the same impact. Yeah, Green was a really good controlling midfielder, wasn't he, in that promotion season under Dennis Smith. Um, <laughs> Rachel has opinions, as quite simply tweeted a picture of Curtis Obeng. Um, <laughs> enough said. Yeah. Tim Lewis said, uh, Leo, this is a really interesting one. Leo Smith leaving on a free grinds my gears would be a valuable member of the squad if he'd stayed. And David Williams, uh, thinking of me here, thank you. Uh, going back a bit, Mark, but the seasons I remember best, 82-83, four appearances from Kevin Bremner, and then 81, 82, 32 appearances, Billy Ronson. And I'll be happy to talk at length about those fellas. <laughs> I'll do it now if you want. Yeah, do it. Do it, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Bremner, brother of Villa legend Des Bremner, was a striker on loan from Reading. Five, five games in all competitions, two goals, looked decent. We were in real trouble, though. We were in the season where we were dropping down from... Well, we, we got relegated from the Championship and then spent one season... Went through League One like a dose of salts. Uh, so we spent one season there and we were, in the, we were down in League Two. Um, Bremner came in on loan, looked like a good striker, um, but was never going to stay because we had absolutely no money. Um, and, and there's a few names like that. I mean, I will say from about a year later, Jim Harvey, who came on loan from Tranmere and was utterly brilliant. That's Jim Harvey, as in the the guy who was uh, managing teams like Forest Green when we dropped down into the football, out of the football league. Um, but we were never going to be able to keep him. There, but there was a collection. Fans were collecting for us to have the fee to keep him. And he was saying how much he loved it. But it was it was never going to happen, really. So Jim Harvey, 80, oh, 87, 88. I'm surprised it's that late, actually. Six games in which he completely bossed midfield, but we couldn't hang on to him. And then the other player, Billy Ronson, was a bit of a childhood hero of mine. I loved him. Um, but, again, we weren't able to, to hang on to him for, for more than that. He was a proper midfield dynamo. Came from Barnsley. Real sort of energetic centre mid. He's little bloke, battled like hell, chased everything. Bit of a Jay Harris. Uh, he, he could go forwards, he could use the ball, chase everything, get sent off, everything you want from a little <laughs> midfield terrier. He was great, he was. Brilliant. Well, what's yours then, Bill? I'm sort of coming at it from two slightly different angles. Um, first one... 
Jonathan Walters. I mean, he, he's gone on to have a, a, whatever Wrexham fans might have an opinion of him um, for whatever reason. You know, he went to Chester and, and we'll say no more, but he ended up making Chester a lot of money and proved himself to be, you know, a top-class player uh, towards the, the end of his career. So if we'd have hold, held on to him, we'd have either made some money or we could have had a player who could have helped us get up or stabilise ourselves in League 2 rather than come down eventually. And then another player, uh, Jake Spate. Now, I know he moved to Mansfield to get close to home to Sheffield, but he ended up going up with Mansfield that year. And again, I'm sure it's more coloured on his opinion or people's opinions of him as a person rather than as a player. But as a player, I don't think we've had a better striker. But the, the stats are in the room will be able to tell us who, if we have had a better striker statistically. But he scored more than Louis Malt from what I can remember. And that that year, the, the one thing that we were really missing was a pro- prolific striker in that playoff year, the year after. And I think if we'd have kept hold of him, he'd have added those extra goals that we maybe needed to to push for the title or even, you know, win the playoff final. Uh, a very, very, very good striker in the conference. Malt got 16 league goals and 32 starts. Uh, Spate's got 20 in 33. Um, in all competitions, though, Malt... Oh, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> I fought one off before, but this time... It beat me, I'm sorry. Malt actually scored more <laughs> in all competitions, 23 in one season. And Spade's got 20. Um, but yes, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you wonder, I mean, there were issues, there were questions about Spade, and and I, I think, well, I mean, I can say this, I guess, that uh, I think there was a sense that Dean Saunders maybe accommodated him a bit too much sometimes, and Morrell wasn't willing to off the pitch. And that meant he was never to be going to go. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't think you can make exceptions for players on when they turn up for training and things like that, which is certainly what was being suggested at the time. Um, but, yeah, you never know. If, he, if he'd been able to keep him, he scored a lot of goals, didn't he? And as for John Walters, who I've got to say personally, I really liked Walters. I thought for us he was good, even though he didn't score a lot of goals. There's 33 league games, five goals. But I would point out that he carried Lee McEverly, and that's something. Um, <laughs> McEverly, seven goals in 15 starts with Walters. And also that season, we had Matt Derbyshire. 10 goals in 16 starts. And Walters, I think, did a lot of, was a striker who did a lot of work for other strikers to give them a chance, didn't he? So, yeah, I really liked Walters. I thought he was a good player. He got seven in all competitions as well. So, okay, seven in the season is not amazing. But having said that, you know, he's, he's put in a good effort. Also, remember, Mark Jones was there as well. 13 goals in the league, 16 in all competitions. Uh, Chase smiling now, his hero Mark Jones. But again, you know, I mean, Walter's his work and his movements will will assist him as well. Exactly. So, yeah, you just mentioned him, Mark Jones. I think if Mark Jones is in better sides, he had so much ability. such an amazing player and you know natural raw talent as well Mark mm-hmm. Jones and he could score amazing goals I was just thinking imagine if we had a, 
and Mark Jones at his best in this side we have now. Uh, have now with the money we have behind yeah. us, and uh, maybe he needs more nurturing. Maybe there was things off the pitch that maybe stopped him from being an incredible player. Maybe he should have left us a lot sooner. Um, yeah, so I, I was going to go with Mark Jones. He could have been an all-time great. It's 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 a shame he wasn't really. Because he had everything, didn't he, Mark? Oh, God, I loved Mark Jones. Um, I'm going to say, though, it's interesting, because I hadn't thought of the question in that way. So a player who actually was superb for us, but maybe could have been even more again. Yeah, I wonder if he believed in himself as much as he should have done, because he should have done, because he was a darn good player. But, yeah, what a talent Mark Jones was. That volley at Oxford's my favourite goal for Exxon, or one of them just outside of the foot, like he's stroking it from 25 yards and goes like a bullet. But there are others as well. I mean, he, he scored top technical goals for fun, didn't he? Really, really fabulous player. So, uh, yeah. absolutely. Just He could shoot from anywhere and it would just go in. Um, imagine if we had him as, you know, he was a League One standard player, wasn't he? Easy. Yeah. A prime Mark Jones in this squad now, with his shooting ability and his passing ability and his, his technical football ability, yeah, it, it's a crying shame, really. So, yeah, uh, for his career to go the way it did, and for us not to be able to, the club ourselves not being in the, the financial position to really nurture him and utilize him, I think's a crying shame in general, really. Yeah. Uh, what's your well, how about this? Imagine this little what-if scenario. Dean Saunders is just starting off at Wrexham and he brings in Joe Allen in early October. Mm. Allen, in his first match against York, absolutely bosses the game. He's way better than everyone else. He scores and we hammer them 3-1. Next match, we go to Mansfield and Alan is brilliant and we beat them 2-1. And then the one little what-if thing is that in that match, Alan doesn't then pick up an injury that ends his season. Because I tell you what, Joe Allen, if he'd stayed fit and played like that for the season, we might have spent one season in the league because he was superb. So clearly yeah. above anything else in that division. He was magnificent. Uh, I really, yeah, I can't help thinking back to that and just thinking there's probably the biggest what-if I've ever seen for Wrexham, to be honest. He's a funny player, Joe Allen, isn't he? Because I think a lot of people watch him on TV and don't quite understand what, what he's doing on the pitch. Uh, I was lucky enough to have tickets to go and watch Wales versus Bordeaux in the in the Euros. And um, not versus Bordeaux, Wales in Bordeaux versus Slovakia, sorry. Um, and... I mean, I've been to see some uh, some games at the high level. I've seen Wales play England, you know, Rooney playing on the pitch. I've seen Wales playing England a couple of times, Lampard as well. But that was probably, Joe Allen's performance on that day was probably e easily the best individual performance I've ever seen in my entire life. And I think he does things on the pitch when, you, when you're looking at it from the stands that, that people just don't quite, that you can't, just can't, doesn't translate to TV for whatever reason. I, yeah, I, that, I think if you can't see his qualities, you're not looking closely enough. I think I, I, I no, no, true, true. And then he was young and dynamic and he was getting around the pitch so quickly. Now he's maybe a little more of a holding player, but 
and that's good. I think the way he's adapted himself has been very good. His accuracy of passing has always been good. And if you think of the player that Liverpool bought, Rodgers wanted him as a dynamic pressing midfielder who did a decent job for Liverpool without ever fully being, you know, sort of considered first choice. But yeah, I mean, for us, he was buzzing up and down the pitch. He had better technique than anyone else. He was fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah, and that season was really weirdly touch and go, even though it wasn't. Uh, Williams got the injury yeah. reasonably early on, and that changed the season, didn't it? Because Jefferson mm-hmm. Louis, him and Jefferson Louis really had uh, a good partnership, but I think it was relying on Williams being so good, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, with Joe Allen, if we had him for the rest of the season, yeah, we may have only spent one season in non league. Not saying that we might have come down the season after, a couple of seasons after, but yeah, Joe Allen would have been a real, real threat to the conference, wouldn't he? Or the Blue Square Premier League at the time. Oh, yeah. Bring back the memories. <laughs> we'll talk about the Skrill in a bit, shall we? The, um, I mean, I've got to say, you, you're, you're, you're spot on. Oh, I didn't think of that. The Joe Allen thing and the Mark Williams thing. The Mark mm. Williams, I mean, there's another example, isn't it? You look at his career record, going into that season, he's played 47 games for X, someone scored four goals. Admittedly, most of them off the bench. No, well, a lot of them off the bench. That season, 25 starts, 17 goals, and then he, he picks up a, just, a, just a sort of unlucky injury. Nothing seemed dramatic at the time. And that's the end of his season. That season totally peters out. Jeff Louis, I think, relied on Mark Williams' brains as well as his ability. And Louis looked a bit lost up front after that. He stopped scoring goals. And sadly, after that, Mark Williams had 27 appearances for Exum, never scored and didn't look the same. Um, wow, you're spot on. If Allen and Williams had stayed fit, we could have spent one season, as you say, in the blue square. Oh, it's the town of sport. Oh, all, all that, all that fun. Uh, <laughs> talking of um, fun times, we're going to talk about the year anniversary of the takeover. Hi, guys. I'm Dominic Bose, and uh, this is Dragon Hot. Well, it's been a year since the anniversary, which is. Time just just goes so quick. We beat. Be, I remember us beating Altrincham. Was it Altrincham? It was Altrincham away? Yeah, yeah. Watching it on the stream. They were playing in FC United's ground, and we had such a good performance. And then the announcement of the takeover confirmed such an iconic night for Exxon, wasn't it, Mark? Oh, it was brilliant, wasn't it? And and the the effect since there's the thing that really strikes me is that infectious enthusiasm. Um. I know it's naive to just look at the results and nothing else, but I mean, if you look at the results and nothing else, you know, this is not dramatically different from quite a few seasons we've had in non-league, but it's the first one, well, it's the first season since we were in what's now the championship that we're getting this sort of support consistently, even when results dip a little bit, the crowds are astounding. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, that sense of optimism, I know it's, it's, it's all... It's not just caused by results, the, the you know the the quality, the signings, the sense we're on a journey, you know, uh, the pressure of having to get tickets because 
it will get tougher to get tickets. You know, all those things add in. But the bottom line is all of that comes from the owners and they've made a remarkable impact in the, in the club in a short time. Yeah, I think it's not it's not been without its ups and downs. Um, but I think any any major change in an organization's structure and who's running it, regardless of all the celebrity stuff, there's there's going to be some uh, teething problems. So I, I don't think anything that, that has happened has been enough to overtake the well, it clearly hasn't been enough to overtake the goodwill factor because if people are coming in their numbers, aren't they? Home and away, and it's it's um, an exciting time to support Wrexham. I think even if the unthinkable doesn't happen and we don't go up, you, you know it's not as, as uh, boom or bust as it was under the trust where you thought, um, if we don't go up this year, it could be the, the last year that we could ever tilt at it. So, yeah, really exciting times. Yeah, I find that really reassuring myself that I, I, I really want us to go up this year. But if we don't, I do feel we surely go up within the next two years, three years, surely. Logic dictates. So, yeah, it is quite reassuring to have that feeling. Yeah, it, you can chuck money at a situation. The, 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 matter, the, the chairman are doing everything that they can do. Um, that always doesn't always translate to what's going on on the pitch because we have got other teams to play against and there's some cracking sides in this league. It's a... I really do think the National League has really stepped up its game this season. It, it, you know, it's a really, really competitive league. And I think the top eight in the National League would do a fine job in League Two. You know, look at Sutton they're doing fantastic in League Two. Uh, so, yeah, the owners are doing absolutely everything off the pitch. The fans are doing everything off the pitch. The players are doing a good job too. It's just, it's just these things aren't going to happen over to, overnight. And it's nice to know that there's a things are being put in place for future seasons. It's such an exciting time, especially as a fan. Uh, me and me and Bill are going to Wheelstone in, in a couple of in a, in a week on Saturday. And it, it's just mad that, that everyone's just clamouring for away tickets, no matter how far we are. You know, Torquay, 790 fans, wherever it was, at Torquay. It's, it's unreal support. It's championship Premier League level support. And it just shows that we are a sleeping giant and that it's not just fun and games. We are a solid investment. Absolutely. And you say about the investment off the pitch, it's just, you know, it's just nice to see the owners also giving money to support people in the community, not just on the pitch. I think that's been absolutely fantastic and there's a brilliant following on from what the, the, the supporters trust were doing in their stewardship of the club. I, I think that's wonderful. And just the fact that we've got uh, their ability to communicate skillfully and intelligently and wittily. <laughs> That's, it's just great fun that every few weeks something drops on social media and it's hysterical. Still yeah. have to sort of like pinch myself sometimes. Like, um, that it's, I know everyone loves Ryan Reynolds and who wouldn't love Ryan Reynolds, but Rob McElhenney, who, who's uh, the creator of probably one of my favourite TV yeah. shows of all time, just rocks, was going to rock up to the race course a couple of times a year just hanging around in Wrexham it's mental isn't it <laughs> I think all three of us are on that page aren't we really we all love Always Sunny and it's crazy that it's him doing it yeah yeah it's it's absolutely just it was mental when they first come here and they like a religious sort of occasion sort of thing Ryan Reynolds said and that's just 
it's just crazy how much they're really getting into it and they're really embracing the town. And the one thing I'd love to say is how much they're doing for the Welsh language and Welsh culture. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's very, very important. And also what they've done for the women's team, which yeah. I think is very important and is probably the most likely way we're going to get European football at the race course again. So, yeah. Yeah, the women's game, what they've done for the women's team is just amazing. I think we should all highlight and watch, watch them as much as we can because they're on the rise too. 100% right there, yeah. I was very pleased when doing the uh, Rex Manorak summary of 2021 to mix the men's and women's stats together. And Tommy Bamford has to watch out because Rosie Hughes scoring a hell of a lot of hat-tricks this season. <laughs> Yeah, and, and seeing them play at the race course, I know. Yeah. It, it was it was like a trial event. I think some fans, like an inv- was invitational fan sort mm. of thing. Um, I can't quite remember at the time, yeah. but that was such an iconic moment seeing the women's team play at the race course, uh, and to be able to film it as well was such an honour. Um, yeah, it, 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 good shout to them really, and it's it's. As just Bill said, it's not been without its downs, um, but yeah, it, it's been a remarkable thing. It's been a remarkable thing in the fact that just being from Wrexham is now just uh, a really popular thing. Oh, you're from Wrexham, Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney. We're now world-renowned town. It's yeah. crazy, isn't it? Well, as I keep oh, hanging we were, on, we were world-renowned anyway, weren't we? Famous for our our lager. <laughs> well said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've got to say, uh, you know, I'm a teacher, English teacher, and this morning the kids were writing their Estelfod poems on the theme, What Wales Means to Me. And I said, avoid the stereotypes, avoid the cliches. Maybe you'll talk about a, a person that represents Wales. And immediately a lad at the back shouted, Ryan Reynolds. And I thought, well, you know. Not totally sure he's Welsh, but he does seem, as you said, Shay, he and Rob McElhenney to be representing Wales pretty well. Yeah, it is. And it's just absolutely mental, isn't it? It never stopped being mental either. Like, who would have thought a couple of years ago we had TikTok on our t shirts and <laughs> aviation gin on our arms? And Will Farrell knows who Wrexham is uh, and wants to commentate with us. If he's got any sense. Yeah. <laughs> the great Neil Williams, Mark Griffiths and Che Long. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's such a great moment for Wrexham history and it's a town that's got so much history anyway. And it's nice that these people from Hollywood are so interested in it, just as interested in us as we are with them. Yeah. By the way, I told that kid to not, not shout out in class. And that you can't do Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> do, 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 do on daffodils and sheep instead. <laughs> I did ban that, by the way. I banned all stereotypes. I'm not having it. Yeah, I understand. Agree. Welsh culture. Everyone just says the basic things, don't they? So <laughs> yeah, good to do that. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, a lot more exciting things going going on at Wrexham as well at the moment. We've got a big game on Saturday against Bournemouth, and I think the FA Trophy isn't it the most sold 
game since the Torquay semi-final a good few years ago. In terms of seconds? Yeah, terms of tickets. I didn't see that. There's yeah, only one side sure. open, isn't there? Or is it two sides open? I'm not too sure, but I think there's over 1,500 tickets sold for an FA Trophy game, which is huge, isn't it, Mark? Fantastic. Fantastic, that. The start of the Bournemouth trilogy as well. Sounds like a bad film series, appropriate. It's against the club across the road from Elstree Studios. <laughs> well, it should, it should be... Um... An interesting game. I think why not make a run at the FA Trophy? Of course, like we've got a good squad depth. We can maybe try the different formations in the FA Trophy as well. I'm taking my four-year-old steps, and so that should be interesting in itself. Probably, I probably won't be concentrating much on the game, but he's very excited anyway. I'll tell you what happened next week. Watch the highlight. Anyways, some news going on, Mark. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, we've pretty much exhausted everything now, haven't we? There's yeah. nothing left to say. Yeah, and I'd like to again apologize to people who listen to Rexham Player uh, last <laughs> last Saturday as we talked about that corner for five minutes too long. Uh, it was the most broken down corner in the history of corners. It was brilliant. Um, That's what people want. It was. It was also the. <laughs> It was also the best breakdown of a corner in the history of breakdowns of corners. Absolutely. (laughs) There was four blokes saying the same thing over and over again. Where else (laughs) would you get that, you know? You don't get that on BT Sport, do you? Eh? Yeah, but why didn't he just put it in the mixer, Mark? That's what I'm keeping me up at night. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what? Will Ferrell would have really... If he heard that, he'd he'd have gotten his private jet for the second half. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm surprised we haven't had the call up to do the Champions League games yeah. in the next few in, in the future. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, for more micro analysis of games, we've got yeah. follow, make sure you tune to Rex and Player Match Center on match day. You can't make it to the game. Uh, follow the Rex and FC Twitter. Um, thanks to Bill. Thanks to Mark for joining me for this Dragon Heart. I've really enjoyed it. This has been Dragon Heart.